Welcome, I'm Larry Olson, and what's on your mind? Once set, it delivers your life. To change the outcomes we want, we must change the plays we're running. Join us at Mindset Playbook with real people, real talk, for real insight. I'd like to introduce everyone to a wonderfully fun and dynamic human being, as well as world traveler, Courtney Olson. Courtney is also a highly successful business executive with Deloitte for several years now, serving clients from unicorn startups to Fortune 500 corporations. Her leadership focus is all about associates, professional, as well as personal growth with an emphasis on work-life balance. Now, Courtney has cut some time out of her busy schedule to talk with us today about some of the highlights of her life journey and the impact her mindset has had on the plays she's found most effective for her personal as well as professional success. I'd like to welcome Courtney. And with all the successes you've had, what do you think is one of the experiences you've found most informative in setting your direction in life, be it personal or professional, and why? Well, thank you for having me. Well, you're more than welcome. Um, I don't know if I could pinpoint one specific example, but I feel like in terms of kind of my path forward, going into college, I think is really where things kind of went a different way for me. And I became very invested in academics. Now, why do you think they went in a different direction for you? Yeah, I think that in like elementary, middle, high school, I just cared about my social life. Like that was my main priority was just, you know, having friends, getting along with people, that really like interpersonal connections and didn't really see the value of the school in particular. And then I think when I got to college, I was just had this realization that I need to set myself up for success in the future. And this is where I'm going to make that happen. And so I think I just had a mind shift of this is really important. This is what matters. This is going to guide me for the rest of my life, not my grades in high school. Okay. So did you reach out to someone to help you set your mind or was there a particular experience that caused you to kind of develop this awareness that you needed to make a shift in how you were applying yourself? Yeah. So I think for the first two years in college, definitely didn't really have a lot of direction, was just kind of figuring it out, changed my majors a couple times, switched schools a couple times. And then it was actually, I think, in my junior year of college that I started talking to a woman who is a leader at Deloitte now. Oh, for She's actually retired, but was a leader at Deloitte. I was nannying for her. And she and her husband started talking to me about accounting. And they were like, it's such a great... Um, career to go into. We always need accountants. Like no matter what, people need accountants. It's so stable. And I think I'm a very risk adverse person. So stability (laughs) for me is really important. And they were just like, you can't go wrong. Like it's a great career. There's a ton of great companies to work for. People always need you. You play a really integral role in like the financial community and I just felt like I looked up to them and knew they were both very successful people. She obviously had a career in accounting and he supported her. And I was just like, you know what? They know better about what the future looks like based on their experience than I do, having no idea and never having been in the business world. So I just kind of took their advice and then went into accounting and quickly met a ton of like-minded individuals who Mm -hmm. I just felt like I gelled with. And I think people always said with accounting – you either love it or you hate it. Like oh. you start it and it's a foreign language and you're like, 
this is impossible. I hate this. <laughs> or you kind of get it. And I kind of got it. So I felt like it was just a safe career path um, that would always afford me a job and the stability. Wow. Wow. Good yeah. for you. Mm-hmm. Good for you. So when you make a shift from, <clears throat> as you were talking about social life, to now having to focus, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you've also developed friendships along the way that are all socially connected. Yep. Now all of a sudden you've changed direction. What, what did you experience going through that transition? Yeah, it was hard. I feel like mm. I really had to work on like time prioritization. And mm. for me, I would spend every weekend studying. Like I took it to the extreme and school was my number one priority mm. and would skip parties, would skip hangouts and just knew I needed to study and that's where my focus needed to be. Um, but I think that I learned to take the time to invest in the relationships that mattered. And I didn't need to be friends with a hundred people, but I knew those individuals who were my really close friends and where the investment made sense. And then just made sure I, you know, took the time to make time for them and had more quality time versus just quantity of Uh, hours spent with people. Did you feel that you had some people that were tugging at you to kind of try to head in a different direction? Yeah, definitely. There were a ton of people. And it seems like, from what you've shared, having that social and wanting that to be so important mm-hmm. is real important that we're liked. I remember taking away a phone from a do- one of my daughters mm-hmm. and um, I, I, not growing up with that medium, you'd think I had taken her arms away from her yeah, because she realized in just a few days she was not, she was going to be befriended. She was not going to be making it happen in her social life. Now, yeah. I'm sure that occur- happened in, in your transition. And a lot of people, when they get into that, they, they kind of acquiesce or give up to, well, I'm really good at making friends. I'll continue in that direction. How did you transition that? Yeah, I think, well, one thing, I think I was lucky because I was just on the cusp of the, like, social media bubble. Okay. So for me in college, like, <clears throat> Facebook just started and you had to have a college account to join Facebook. So we definitely didn't have the interconnection of social media that the generation, even probably two to three years below me did. I gotcha. So I think we had more, you know, just naturally built relationships with people. And so I don't feel like we had that same pressure of needing to be connected all the time. And it was more just carving out time to spend time with someone in person. And I think I had a lot of friends who went through a lot of tough stuff in college. I think you're really just trying to figure out who you are and there's a lot of challenges. And so I realized I just needed to kind of be a good listener. And that was one thing that would be easy for me to do as a friend is just when someone needs you, just be there and just listen. And it's not always about, you know, planning out all these crazy things or doing anything, you know, that takes all this effort, but just being there for your friends and, that those type of connections, I feel like now I have friends from college who I was kind of with during tough times who are now my friends now, which is, you know, 10 plus years later and, and kind of built really deep relationships on meaningful, meaningful aspects rather than just superficial gotcha. acquaintances. Yeah, very yeah. nice. Yeah. Very nice. So, Courtney, you just talked something about, about something that really clicked with me. 
because there was a three-year gap between daughters, and that is pretty much what you identified as to how horrific that could have been. Um, you know, I date myself, but when I get on an airplane and all of these people are together, and yet they all have a phone in their ear, and yet they're not with someone who's there, that's always kind of puzzled me. I, I would like to take. I wanted to take a picture of it and show it to everybody, but I feel that they'd like. What's wrong with you? Of course, we're on the phone. Mm-hmm. And what's your take on that? That kind of social distancing without COVID, mm-hmm. but it was more. In, it was more of an intellectual mindset distancing because yeah. you're sitting right next to someone. Mm-hmm. But how did how did that impact you? That type of uh, experience. Yeah, I that drives me crazy. Like I distinctly remember going on a trip with my best friends to Ireland. We went to Ireland and we went to Scotland and we went to London. And I remember being in a pub with her, and it was just the two of us. And she was on the phone like the whole entire time. It's just like we are across the world <laughs> trying to have this experience, and you're. thinking about what's happening at home and you're not here with me. Like, yes, you're physically here with me, but you're not emotionally here with me. And same with when you haven't seen your family in a long time and everyone goes to dinner and then everyone's on their phone. Like, I just think that we're so technology is just so close at our fingertips that it's great. It's available and we can, you know, read anything we want to read. But I think people need to take a step back and be there have really be there in their presence and not just physically be sitting there. And yeah, 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 I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, one of the things that I'd noted about you and, um, in your success in business is you've taken that same attitude about being present. One of the most difficult things for the human being to do because of all the mental distractions we have and and all the things that are going on in our lives, and especially if there's any loose ends, our brain can't stand it. It's got to either create lists or it has to just become proactive or we drive ourselves crazy. One of your leadership attributes of many is the fact that you're interested in your people. And you take time for your people. And the the thing that's so important is a lot of leaders take time, but they're not there during that time. Mm -hmm. They're still thinking of other things. And people pick that up. They know whether they're being listened to. Mm -hmm. What have you found that keeps you focused when you as a leader are growing and developing your people? Yeah, and I think I... I definitely feel like investing in people and being there for people is so important. And I think I learned that from leaders that I looked up to when I had started my career. And there was such a big difference in two leaders, one who was just there to do the day-to-day and check the boxes and get the work done versus someone else who truly invested in you. And just asking questions like, how is your day going? How are you feeling? How are you doing? And really treating people like they're individuals and they're people and not just they're just working for you and there to get the task done. Let me ask you this. Yeah. There, there, I, I know many leaders who ask those questions, but the people they're asking of when they're providing the answers, they feel like their job's done because they asked the question. So they can look at their watch, they can stare at a phone, 
They can lose eye contact. Mm -hmm. And what message do you think they're sending to the person who's talking to them? Yeah, not listening, not involved, doesn't care. (laughs) And how did that make us feel? Horrible. (laughs) Okay. Horrible. So what do you do to keep yourself with all those things going on in your mind into that person? Yeah. I think a little bit for me, it comes naturally just because I am such a people person that I think there are a lot of leaders who are trying to connect with people because they know that that's something that they need to do. Like I've worked with people who you can tell they have to put so much effort into like having a conversation with you and they are just doing it because they know that it's supposed to be something that they do. For me, it's really comes a lot more naturally to connect with people. And so I just, I don't try to be best friends with everyone, but if there's people who, you know, I'm working with, I try to figure out things that we have in common and talk about those things and just make it natural and don't get all invested in something that you don't care about at all just because you're trying to connect with people, but really just taking time to learn about the people that you're working with. Um, And I think that kind of goes hand in hand with you taught me a long time ago that a good leader knows that not everyone is motivated the same way and that some people are motivated by money. Some people are motivated by you know, thanking them and there's all different ways to motivate people. And I think if you just invest in learning about each of the individuals that you work with, you can tailor your response or your focus or your, Mm. how you interact with each of those people differently. And I think that is really appreciated by the individuals that you're working with. Very nice. Very nice. Um, Years ago, uh, I was working with a large company and we had a leader who was just all about business. I mean, social life to him was something that you did when you left the job. And um, <clears throat> so we didn't expect to be drawn out. We didn't expect to have anybody find out how our weekend was. Mm-hmm. And it created a real sterile kind of environment. And we found ourselves talking about this individual behind his back. And unfortunately, I have to admit, it wasn't always positive. Mm -hmm. Instead of having the conversation with him and letting him know what we needed, we just felt that he should know. So he signed up for a retreat, and it was on bonding with your people. (laughs) So this one on the weekend, well, Monday morning he comes in, and I come into the office, and he goes, Larry, where are we on the Nelson account? And he goes, oh, just a minute how are you? (laughs) And and it was so contrived. It was so, I could tell he was taking what he learned. More power to him. But I think that the thing that most people have difficulty understanding is, is you can learn to make it about other people. And and even have a greater impact on the bottom line within the organization that you're working at. Yep. Um, now, during, during the, uh, we happen to be recording this where we're going through different phases throughout the country as people start to get back to this new normal, if you will. Um, and the jury's out with everyone on how that's going. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in an organization that I believe is allowing you to work at home. Yep. And you still have to connect with all these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have you found about the pros and cons of, of staying in touch 
when you can't be close in proximity. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely been a roller coaster of trying to figure it out. And I think within the first kind of month, a lot of us were just like, okay, this is temporary. We're working from home, but we'll be in the office soon and can connect. And I work in an environment where most days I'm in an office with, you know, 15 other people who I'm working with. And so it's really easy to just pop over and chat with someone and it's so organic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think we started with trying to do like a Zoom happy hour or trying to do, you know, a game we'd all play online during the day for a couple minutes. But I think we quickly realized that people are on Zoom calls or on some type of technology all day long. And so to then go into a Zoom happy hour, I think we really (laughs) felt like people were just quiet. People just kind of sat there and were just dead tired. Oh. So we kind of started thinking like, okay, the social interaction is just going to look different a little bit now. And so one of the things we're doing is we're trying to have people adjust their hours to work all their like four tens, for example, and take Friday off and just like refresh and do something different on Friday. And just kind of, I think it's easier for people to connect when they have an actual break. Mm. And then people I think come in recharged for the rest of the week and then when we do have those zoom calls people are actually then invested and it's easier to connect rather than just a long work week with tons of meetings makes it so hard and i think also just trying to connect one-on-one has been helpful and just trying to have a phone call with one person you know you know on a zoom call there's 20 people and only one person can talk at a time so it's not really a conversation yeah so i think trying to just adapt and do one-on-one and also just checking in with people on what do they need and what does connection look like for them at that point in time and you know what you might think about too is is people need to be focused and they need to focus on purpose Mm -hmm. So if you've got one individual talking, you could assign the rest of the group to have one question Mm -hmm. that they can ask of what they're learning from that individual. Because now I have to stay attentive. And, you know, you could kind of have some fun with that. Nobody knows who's going to get called to say, you know, Teresa, what did you have for her? Yeah. And all, all Walker has to do is hear that and realize, oh, She's asking questions, yeah. <laughs> you know, and some people go, well, you're forcing them to listen. Well, sometimes that's the only way some people can get started is they have to be held accountable yeah. Yeah. and you're not punishing anybody if yeah. they don't have it. And that's the key. If they don't have a question, mm-hmm. you don't go, well, you weren't paying attention. Didn't you hear the assignment? Right. That's a very old school leadership style. It's shaming. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's more as, okay, well, maybe you'll have one with the next one. And now they're much more likely, aren't they, yep. to be ready? Mm-hmm. Um, how's it been going? I, I've I've got the feeling because I know it personally. Working from home can um, can be all consuming sometimes. I think you get the impression that oh, good, I'll have all this time to myself, but it's a different environment. What have you experienced with that from your people as well as your your own life? Yeah. Yeah, I think we had everyone had a really hard time in the beginning. I don't think we knew we knew that we were having a hard time, but oh, okay. What a lot of people were identifying was the boundary between work and home completely went away mm. because work was in your home, and people were just working longer hours, even though the job didn't require it. But your computer is set up in your living room, so it's really easy to just pop back on your computer and send a couple emails and. 
I think on our team, we have really good communication and people speak up when things aren't working and, you know, it's a very like open and receiving, um, environment. And so people just spoke up and they're like, this is not working. We're working way too much. We need help. And so I think we just all listened to what people had to say. And let me interrupt you a sec, if you don't mind. Um, one of the most difficult things for most people to do because they learned it at a very young age is to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a perception in school if you raise your hand and ask a question, you could be perceived as what? Dumb. Dumb. Yep. But unfortunately, you don't ask the question and you end up leaving dumb mm-hmm. or, or lack of new knowledge, right? But, but where do you think the fear comes from to keep them from asking the question? I mean, I think that it's, I think a lot of people probably have the same question, but the fear just comes from they're doubting themselves and they don't know if the question's already been answered or like you said, they don't want to look dumb in front of other people or... Yeah, yeah. All of these things that yeah. are not conducive. Mm-hmm. We're not teaching people how to feel comfortable asking for help. And I think the listeners out there have to recognize, don't have to, but uh, we, you might recognize the style that Courtney has brought to her group for them to feel comfortable asking for help. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of people that are working at home are failing miserably. Uh, they have a family. They're trying to adjust to giving time to their children, but then they have to take... And the children don't know mm-hmm. anything about the importance of being focused as to what you're doing. Yeah. What be with me? I'm here right now. What do you want? An airplane with a phone? Yeah. Um, and yet, we're caught into that element. And one of the things that you mentioned um, was how important work-life balance is. And you talked a little bit about how there was no balance. Mm-hmm. If your if your computer's right there, you can always be doing it. There's always something to do. I think in your business, you really never get done, do you? No. There's always something else to do. Always. So so there you just have to on purpose say this has got to happen tomorrow. Yep. Yep. How do you get to that? Yeah. How do you so do that? It's hard and a really good piece of advice I learned really early on is just in the whole concept of work work life balance, which is a huge discussion always at Deloitte because it's a very work hard, play hard type of environment okay. and you're expected to work long hours. We have periods of time where people work crazy hours and that's just kind of the nature of the business. And so I learned early on, no one else is going to help you or advocate for you for work-life balance. Like no one's going to come and bug you and say, Hey, it's six o'clock. You should get offline and you should go have dinner with your family. But what they always tell you is like, we are a very supporting and flexible company and so we support you doing it. You just have to figure out what does it look like for you and how do you make mm. it happen and know that you are supported by the people around you. And so one of the things I've heard a lot lately people are saying is they just block their calendars. They just say, oh, from 6 to 8 o'clock, I'm doing family time and I'm at home. Or like, wow. for me, I go and exercise in the afternoon. So I'm just, I'm not available from 12 to 1. I'll be back at 1. You guys can talk to me later. And just knowing that it's okay to shut off and that we also don't want people to get burnt out. Like we're better off if people are healthy and happy and recharged to work. And if people are working all the time, they're just going to quit and go Mm, somewhere else. So there is really a risk on the line of 
losing employees if people are getting burnt out. So I think you just have to know that you're doing the right thing for yourself and just trust that you're making the right decision and then just make it happen and don't worry what people think about you or don't worry if people are judging you for, you know, getting offline early or whatever, but just, you just have to kind of figure out what works for yourself and stick to it and make it happen. What do you think would be a good way to do that? Well, I think, I think you nailed it when you, when you put the category of blocking some time, but here's what I would add to that is if you've blocked time to be with your family, do you know how to be with your family? Because I know a lot of parents are so busy and have so many things going on in their life that they can be in the same house with their kids, but not with their kids. And they think because the kid is there mm-hmm. and they're either they're watching the same show or they're, you know, are they really connecting? And uh, it's so powerful for you and I to know that someone's really there for us. It's one of our basic needs. Mm-hmm. And if it's not met, then there's all kinds of different outlets and different experiences that people have. And, and, and sometimes the worst thing can happen is, is you've got a, a young person that doesn't feel that they're worthy of being heard. Because if you're continually ignored, mm-hmm. and not by, I don't want to listen to you, but just don't be present while I'm talking to you. Mm-hmm. Try to multitask. Yep. So again, it's, it's what I'm hearing you saying is if you block the time out, make it a religious experience, mm-hmm. if you will. Yep. I mean, you make it something you can commit to or don't block it out because now you've put an idea in someone else's head is you're available. And what does available mean to you when you have a no vacancy sign on your forehead? Mm-hmm. So uh, I like I like very much what you said about blocking timeout. Um, what kind of help do these people reach out for when you say they've they're comfortable reaching out for help? What, what, what would be is it on a job? Is it just dealing with their time? What were you kind of referring to? Yeah. So for for most of the people that are in my field, at any given time, you you probably are just on one client at a time. But then there'll be a period where you're kind of wrapping up that client and moving on to another client. But Usually, and, and Courtney is in the audit, auditing division yes. with Deloitte. So we're auditing various <clears throat> companies. And you, you, when you're done with a job, the job's usually not done. And so often there's things that are kind of rolling on from the previous time. And, you know, people have calendared on their schedule that they should be working X hours a week on X jobs, but it doesn't always work out that way. So like recently, for example, someone I worked with was done with one of my jobs and then going on to another one of my jobs, actually. And she was having a really hard time with how much should she keep working on what she was supposed to be finished with that's now bleeding into the next thing. Mm. you know. And then is it okay for those hours to now be taken away from her next job? And kind of she was just asking for help with saying no. Ah. And just where can I say no? I know that there's some of these things that are really important. And if I say yes to everything, I'm going to work 80 hours a week. And so she was just asking for help with where do I say no? How do I prioritize? You know, and just kind of using my experience because I'm more senior than her of just like, what would you do in my situation? Because she was essentially saying, I'm getting burnt out doing all of this and just needed help with figuring out where to focus her time. 
So a lot of times it's that or it's people reaching out saying, hey, I have way too much on my plate. I can't get everything done in the hours during the day and it's making me crazy because now I'm working all the time. I can't have any work-life balance because I'm working all the time. And and by the time it gets to that, they've become a victim. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's when the attitude goes south, and yeah. now you're giving more time to me. You really don't care. So when you have that, that is so powerful. What you've come up with is all of us can learn from, and that is that to be able to say no and not be offensive because you're saying no to people you need their support from. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I've learned is to say, you know what, I would, I would really like to do that, but here's what I'm doing now. Yep. And, and give the other individual the opportunity. I know when a lot of young people come into a company and they feel like they have to say yes to everything, they end up getting overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And then they burn out and they go away, and it didn't need to happen. So in one of my trainings, I teach people about the courage and power that you display when you're able to say, I would love to do that. Here's what I'm working on now. Mm-hmm. And now I throw it into your lap yep. to tell me, no, it's okay to stop that. Mark where you are here, but if you would proceed with this. Yeah. Instead of me feeling like I let you down. Right. Well, and I think what you said also, sometimes you don't necessarily know, based on experience, what to say no to. Okay. You know, and so mm. you might think that it's not a good opportunity for you. But if you can explain it the way you were saying of, well, I'm thinking I should say no because I have all of these things. Someone else could say, well, actually, this is a way better opportunity for you. So let's figure out how to get these other things out of your way. Absolutely. Or they may, you may say, well, how are you going about that? And you may find out that was something you did years ago. Mm-hmm. You found a shortcut. Yep. Just because it's natural for you now, you think everybody's aware of it. Yep. And so we're holding the whole organization back because we've created an environment where it's not transparent, mm-hmm. where it's not okay to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And, um, and a lot of leadership style, unfortunately, is still, when I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Yep. And I don't think you're the type of person that would work very long for someone that treated you that way. Mm-mm. Definitely no. not. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt at all no, on that no. one. Okay, okay. Um, with 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 looking back now, you're still you're still, you know, relatively new in the organization. I think you have a, almost a decade with them, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, right out of college, and um, what is some advice you would give to people that are just coming out of, of high school or coming out of college and they're about to enter into the, the workplace mm-hmm. um, to make that transition a little easier for them? Because yeah. there's a lot of nervousness, there's anxiety. Mm-hmm. None of us can be the best that we can be when we're, God, I hope I do okay. Yeah. We end up blocking our, and we come across like, hmm, I don't know if this was a good hire. Yeah. What are some of the things you would suggest? One is just relax. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I feel like you, what you think is so important and what you're stressed out about when you're brand new, usually no one else cares about, Uh, you know? And I think when you're a newbie coming into any type of organization, usually the expectations of you are pretty low from everyone else. Like (laughs) to begin with, you know, people know you're brand new, fresh out of college. You have no idea what you're doing. 
And I think if you just have an open mind and you're willing to learn and you're willing to be present and ask questions, you know, and just relax about all the things that you're not doing perfectly or that you're overthinking and you can just be open. I think that'll just set you up for success. I've looked back at even just emails I wrote when I was first starting and I just like, I sound ridiculous, just (laughs) so eager and just, which is good, but you know, you kind of, you realize so much as you grow, like really what's important in an organization, what matters. And there's a lot of things that need to happen to keep things moving, but really aren't a big deal and are just not worth getting all uptight about or stressed about. And I think really just relax and don't put so much pressure all right. on yourself. All right. Do you think that this um, generation that's coming into the workforce has a more relaxed demeanor or do you think there's more pressure now? So I actually, I think it's, yeah, opposite of relaxed. I think okay. that the new new generation have really been fed this information of like, you can do anything that you want. You deserve the best job. You deserve the best opportunities. And so we've had a lot of people coming into our organization who kind of have this attitude, like the work that we're giving them is below them, uh, which I think rubs everyone the wrong way. And, you know, I think <laughs> people just are coming in too too confident and people need to just have some humility and know Uh, that they're not going to slide in right after college to their dream job and that we all kind of started from somewhere and you kind of have to do your pay your dues at the bottom of an organization that's how you start that's how you learn that's how you grow um but you know that being said if that's the case and you've got someone out there saying i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do that they'll be lucky to have me Mm -hmm. you know and there's nothing wrong with that attitude yeah um, unless that attitude rubs someone else wrong, mm-hmm. and then that's your own to your own detriment. Um, but one of the things is is the is the whole element of humility. Mm-hmm. What does humility mean to you? I think to me it just means kind of you know just stepping back and just being able to just learn from people and soak things in and not kind of measure everything against your worth, but just know that there's a lot of people who know way more than you do and don't try to be a know-it-all, but just kind of listen and soak things in and, you know, be okay maybe being wrong and just knowing that you don't, you likely don't know all the answers. You know, there's always people more experienced than you. There's always people that know more than you. There's always people that do things better than you. And I think it's, it says a lot about your character if you can just kind of step back and listen and soak things up okay. and not try to prove people wrong or prove who you are, but just take it all in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good advice, good advice. And in, in most, most people's impressions that they make as we make of one another mm-hmm. is just stylizes that old quote that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Mm-hmm. And I don't, if you graduated tops in your class and everything else and started out at this mega salary, you're still coming into individuals that have been there before Mm -hmm. and have found ways of doing it that you probably weren't taught at college. Yeah. Okay. Because some of that's standardized and Mm -hmm. you got to be in a pretty sophisticated college to have cutting edge information. Not, you know, not every, every situation. Um, But I, what I have seen is and tried to coach people that are coming in new Mm -hmm. is that you can't know any more than you currently know and you already know what you know 
So that's good enough. When you try to convince others of what you know, you're getting into slippery ground. Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't even step into that. What you should recognize is, is one of the best ways to learn is to know that you can know. You're not supposed to know yet. And that, I think, with all of us, if we've got any kind of desire and motivation, we wanted to know it yesterday. And we downplay ourselves when we don't. And that's where defensiveness comes into play. Yep. And when you're trying to share and grow somebody and they're defending an indefensible position, but they don't know that, mm-hmm. they're really saying, here's, here's how open I am to growth, Courtney. Yep. You can probably expect this in our next conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and I would imagine in your case, as open as you are, it's, it's not... It's not easy for you not to get an attitude mm-hmm. about this person. Mm-hmm. And we know how, how the brain works when that happens. Because now when they come in again for another conversation, guess what we're listening for? We don't even hear any openness anymore. Yep. We're just waiting for the defensiveness to come out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So nice nice way to handle that is to be develop some humility. Mm-hmm. You know, Look it up. Read about it. Or There's say some, you don't know. Or say, I don't know. Yeah. And, and, you know, and who's ever been fired for saying, I don't know? Never. Never. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Unless it's every single, you know, you get to bring them out to the client. Well, how do you think we ought to do that? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went through this class and they told me, just say, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's worked up to this point. Uh, so that's, that's fantastic. Um, Geez, there's just so many questions I have. This has been so much fun yeah. having this interview with you. I agree. So uh, much fun. Well, good. And I and I just I wanted to ask another question, and that that was about you have had, from what I've heard in your life, this just insatiable appetite to enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm. Even at a very, very, very young age. As you've grown, do you ever pause and think about where that came from? I mean, I kind of feel like I'm just wired as a happy person. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know if I could pinpoint where it came from. Um, I think I just... But you've cried before. Yeah, I you've mean, been I, unhappy. I experience my emotions. Yeah. I, I think I just... But you've been unhappy before. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's maybe go in that direction. What got you out of it? You know, what'd you have to go through yeah. to get back in the game? Yeah. I think I'm definitely someone who lets myself feel all the emotions. Okay. And just knows it's, know it's okay to cry. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to feel those things. And whether you need to, like, journal them out or you need to talk to someone or you need to vent... And just letting myself fully feel that way, realize why I'm feeling sad. You know, is there something immediately I can do to change the situation? Or is this one of those situations where it's just going to take a little bit of time and it's okay to take that time? So when you were younger, you wouldn't have any trouble then telling your parents how you were feeling and what you were thinking? I mean, I probably wasn't great at verbalizing things when I was really young. But I feel like my family, we definitely we let each other feel emotions gotcha. and we talked about things and okay. we felt the feelings. And 
you know, didn't try to sweep anything under the rug. And I, I feel like that just made me more emotionally intelligent. Gotcha. Yeah. And just knowing that there's going to be times when you're down and there's going to be times when you're mad and you just have to experience that and not try to immediately change the situation and move on to the next thing and just, you know, become a positive thinker. Yeah, exactly. You know, my definition of a positive thinker is someone that you has got this big smile on their face Mm -hmm. and you say, well, what are you so smiling about? And they go, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I was just taught that if you think happy thoughts, wonderful (laughs) things will happen. And I think that the, the power in, in what we've learned from you is there's an effervescence and there's just a zest in your tone, in your attitude, your demeanor. Um, you're a marvelous listener. I've cut you off several times <laughs> and you've just been so wonderful about how receptive you've been to the questions and everything else. Um, when you have the opportunity to get to a point in your life where, like all of us now, have had a lot of time to reflect. Mm-hmm. The, and, and unfortunately, some people are reflecting on what on earth has happened. We're now, they're calling it, in the last couple of days, we're in a depression. Mm-hmm. They finally stu- stood up and said that. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen with this coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, yet we have to go on with our lives. We have to, we can either come from fear or we can come from value. It's a choice that all of us make. What would you suggest as you're kind of forecasting this new normal that um, would be your advice for people on how they're dealing with life as they're getting it now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's tough. It's easy to just say, like, be positive, it'll all work out. But I think we all know there are a lot of people who are not in good situations and who have lost their job and you can't just say be positive. Like they need to make money and they need to feed their family and feed their kids. But I do think that if you look at history, we do always come back and maybe it looks different and maybe it takes a long time. But I think just kind of hanging in there and knowing that it will get better and hopefully you've surrounded yourself by other people who are supportive and are who you know who can help you in whatever that might look like and I think going back to asking for help when you need help and you're down on your luck and you lost your job like reach out to your network and just use people and ask for help when you need it and just know that we are literally all in this together like we probably haven't had something ever at least when I've been alive or in recent history where it's a global issue and this is seriously a global issue. So I think that just reach out to people. Don't be afraid to ask for help when you need it. And you know, as much as we can just hang in there, like we will rebound and it's probably going to look completely different, but we're going to come out better on the end. Very nice. Very nice. And, and I think we all need to keep in mind that we're, we're all human beings. We share that species. Mm-hmm. One thing that we all know about ourselves is we, we want to be happy. We want to f- feel good about the life that we're living. We want to feel that we're being productive. We want to feel that we're making a difference. Mm-hmm. And we need, we can't do that in a vacuum. And, and that's been the challenge of this whole distancing thing. It it's, uh, creates this vacuum unless you can really allow yourself to be close and be together. Mm-hmm. And um, 
You have brought us closer with your sharings. We very much appreciate it. Um, I want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to this. Uh, Courtney is, um, she's a Northwesterner, so um, she's uh, someone that just very much enjoys life. And what, what you all find out about how she's able to keep this attitude is, is she does it on purpose. Not, there's no accident about it. She makes that choice every single day. And we all have that choice. So choose to be happy during all of this, during the devastation that some people are experiencing, and during the elation that others are. Because what is a bad time for some is a good time for others. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is, is we need each other yep. to make this thing work. So mm-hmm. I thank all of you. Have a great rest of your day and rest of your life. And uh, thank you for tuning into Mindset Playbook. And we look forward to our next visit. Take care. Thank you for listening. Larry's next guest is Gene Grabick. Gene's roots come from professional golf, and currently he is the woman's head golf coach at D2 Ashland University. Gene's assistants took 30 strokes off the women's team in just three weeks, where they went on to win their first tournament in three years. Listen with Larry as Gene shares the power of getting out of the rough on the course and in life, as well as what it means to focus for better performance by learning how to think differently.